Amen. Well, good morning again. Welcome to you. Big welcome to those of you who are online. We're so happy that you are enjoying us and joining us on this summer evening. Everybody have a good night's sleep. Ready for a barbecue? Rested? No nightmares? No bad dreams? Anyone have a recurring dream? You know, if you have those dreams that you keep having again and again, I have two recurring dreams. Uh, the first is that it's the end of the semester, whether it's high school or college, and I'm going in to write an exam, and I've never attended the class, didn't read the textbook, don't have a note. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to write an exam? Am I going to be able to do it? The second recurring dream is that I'm preaching, I'm in public, I'm at a wedding, I'm at a celebration, and I don't have a stitch of clothing on. Now, I hesitate to share that because that puts a mental image in your head. You need to get out of your head uh, right now. But those dreams, I think they're kind of reflective of just that innate desire that we have that we want to match up. We want to be approved. We seek the approval of people. We want to know that we're okay, that we're acceptable. From the time we're young, right, we want to win the approval of people. We're little kids and we say, hey, mom, hey, dad, watch me, look at me, see me, notice me, approve of me. You get to school and you want the teacher to notice you. You become a teenager and you want someone to notice you. Hey, guy or gal, look at me, watch me, see me, notice me. I'm valuable. Do I match up to what you want? We get into the workplace. And we want to know we're acceptable. Am I okay? Do people see me? Am I worthy of a promotion? Am I worthy of a raise? And I think just generally in life, we're interested in the fact of do I match up? We're kind of looking at, am I okay? Right? I'm at the top of your field, but you still may feel like you can do better. And there's something within us that wants to be able to seek the approval of others. And sometimes we think that generally in life, and those of us who are followers of Jesus would probably say we want to seek that with God. Like, does God approve of us? Does God see me? Does he know me? Does he value me? And in theological Christian terms, we would call that righteous. Am I righteous? Do I have the approval of God? And there's a lot of negative thoughts we sometimes have in our heads, a lot of thoughts that we battle at times about not being good enough, not matching up, not cutting the grade, not making the mark. And what we're going to see today is that we have a spiritual enemy that wants to distract us and discourage us and keep us from feeling like we're settled with God. And that what we really want to say, and we're going to sing and celebrate communion at the end, but that this, in the battles of life, that Satan knows your name, right? He knows your name, but he's going to call you by your sin. Isn't that what you feel on the inside? Right? I, I can't match up. I know my sin. God, on the other hand, he knows your sin, but he chooses to call you by name, by who he calls you 
to be. So if you have your Bibles or your mobile devices, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to spend time in this passage. We're just sitting here, and basically for the next few weeks, we're going to look at one word at a time, so to speak. We've called this series In the Arena to remind ourselves that we're in a spiritual battle, that Paul in this chapter pulls back the curtain between the natural world and the spiritual world and shows us that we have a spiritual enemy, that our problems are not just against people, but against the spiritual realities that's behind people and people's motives. We have saw that we have an enemy whose name is Satan, and he has multiple fallen angels who do his work for him, and that he has certain strategies. And we talked about some of those strategies, and uh, I encourage you, if you're new or maybe you missed a week, like go back, go on our YouTube channel, log in, sign in on our YouTube channel, and get all the content that's coming up, and, and look at the strategies that the enemy has. Then we began to look last week that to counteract the strategies, what God has given us is some supports in the spiritual realm, that we have some supports in our spiritual battle. And that he calls these weapons, so to speak, or pieces of armor that we have. And what we saw last week is that each piece of armor really is just a benefit that we have because of our salvation in Christ. That what these pieces of armor are, are really the freedoms and the privileges that we have because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And that Jesus did more than just going to the cross to get us a ticket to heaven. It's like, oh, you can have eternal life. That's an incredible benefit. But he did so much more to help us live eternal life today. And each one of these pieces of armor is a piece of that privilege that God has given us. And last week we saw that Paul says, first of all, put on the belt of truth and that we need truth, that the, Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. God's word is truth. And putting that piece of armor on is basically saying this truth is the right thing to believe. That when I put on the belt of truth, that God's word, his precepts, that's what's right to believe. Now, the problem is you can believe this, but it's a challenge to live it out. And so what righteousness is, we're going to see the second piece is the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is living according to the truth. It's right living. Truth is believing God's word is right. Righteousness is rightly living according to the truth. And righteousness, we're going to see, it protects us. It's a breastplate of protection. Wrongness, the opposite, opens up the enemy to our life. So Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, we'll put this all in context again. As a reminder, Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of heavenly places. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to be able to stand firm. So stand therefore, he says this, having first fastened on the belt of truth, and secondly, having fastened the breastplate 
of righteousness. So the second piece of armor, the second blessing we get out of what Christ did on the cross is this breastplate of righteousness. And kind of think of it in modern day terms like a bulletproof vest, right? What a bulletproof vest does is protect your vital organs, your heart, lungs, vital organs from one attack. And it wouldn't matter in the ancient world how fast you were as a soldier, how cunning you were, how wise you were, how smart you were. If you got one puncture wound to the heart or the lungs, it was game over. And that the enemy would try to go, right, for that very heart attack, try to, like, get you down. And so you would wear this breastplate. Uh, sometimes it was leather that was covered in animal hooves, maybe some bones to protect yourself. Sometimes it was pieces of armor. There are some where it's overlapping pieces of metal that were there to protect you. Uh, the Romans sometimes had a molded piece of, of metal that went over your chest and, and was the breastplate. It was like 70 pounds sometimes. How right, you think of that, carrying 70 pounds just here, not your shield and not your sword, 70 pounds. So that makes it difficult for a soldier to be agile, to run fast, uh, to get away, to advance. And so what they would do is that breastplate would often attach to the belt. And the belt would help to hold up the weight of the armor. And so the two pieces go hand in hand, very much together, but the breastplate would cover the vital organs and protect you from that kill shot. It would protect your heart. And Solomon writes in Proverbs 4:23, he says, "Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life." Some translations say, "Guard your heart." Protect your heart. Because from your heart, right, comes everything in life. And the Bible uses that heart kind of metaphorically as, as it's kind of the will of life. It's the excitement. Uh, we talk about you have heart for something. You're enheartened to do something. Or you're disheartened. Right? And when you're disheartened, what happens? You don't feel like doing anything. You feel like giving up. And so the enemy wants to discourage us. And so this is why we need a breastplate. Why do we need the breastplate? It's because Satan, our spiritual enemy, is trying to dishearten us. He's trying to get the kill shot to the heart because he knows if he can get to your heart, if he can get to that emotional will, that kind of essence of who you are, that you can be discouraged and he's got you. And how many times do we feel, oh, I don't have the heart to go to church today? I don't, I don't have the heart to go to my life group. I, I just don't have the heart to pray. I just don't, don't feel like I can read God's word today. I, I just don't know if I can go along. I just kind of want to check out today. And the Bible says righteousness, it guards our heart. Guard your heart. And the enemy wants to take your heart out. And you know, sometimes one event one word, some conversation with someone, some thought, some word in the middle of the night, it can just blow you up. It can take your heart out of things. And the enemy's strategy, this is it, to accuse and condemn. The enemy wants to keep you heartless. In fact, in Revelation chapter 
12 in verse 10, talking about kind of the role of the enemy and what he does, uh, John says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who what? Accuses them day and night before our God. And talking about Satan, how does he describe him? He says he's an accuser. He's a condemner. He's saying all the wrong things. He's telling you, you don't match up. You don't cut the mustard. You don't meet the expectations. Look at you. And how many times do we feel that? Are we feel defeated in our walk with God because we think, oh, I'll never change, or God can't use a person like me, or I've messed up too much, or that, what I did, it was so bad, God could never forgive. I could never change. And then what? We see people who seem to do well or they walk in victory and the enemy goes, oh, you can't be like that. You'll never be like them. You'll never be able to do that. And so we walk around with a lot of defeat and discouragement in our life because the enemy has taken the heart out. And this is his method, his scheme. And what does Paul say? He said, I want you to stand and withstand the enemy and stand therefore and stand strong. And one of the reasons we don't stand in our faith is because the enemy's just got us. He's taken the heart out. And if anyone knows that, it's the Apostle Paul. Because remember, Paul, before he came to Jesus, he was persecuting the church. He was part of destroying Christians. He was trying to take down the name of Jesus. He was doing every unspeakable thing that you could do. And Jesus changed his life. And if there was ever anyone who could say, oh, God could never use me, like I, I lived that life, God could never use, it was Paul. But Paul understood what it was to put on a breastplate of righteousness and to overcome the accusations and condemnation of the enemy. And he says, I want you to walk in that freedom too. In the midst of the battles, a breastplate of righteousness, living according to the truth, is going to do that. So what exactly is righteousness? What is a breastplate of righteousness? And in the 70s, Right, the word righteous, it was a great word. Like people use this, oh, righteous man, that's a righteous right. Oh, that's just righteous man. It would symbolize that's excellent, that's an amazing thing. Like, oh, you got a righteous ride, that's a great car. Today, righteousness is kind of a negative term. We look at righteousness as something where people say, oh, you're looking down at people. You think you're holier than others. You're better than others. That you think you're so righteous that you've excluded yourself and you're excluding people. That's not what righteousness is. Righteous, basically, righteous just means I'm living right. I'm living right according to the truth that I know, that if God has revealed his truth, and that truth is saying that this is the right way to live, then righteousness means I'm living right by the truth. I'm living up to this, which is hard because we're going to see this is God's standard for us. And being righteous says I'm living, I'm, I'm living acceptable to God. God sees me and I'm living up to his standard. The opposite of rightness or righteousness would be what? Wrongness, I suppose. 
right? If righteousness is saying, oh, I'm living right according to the truth, wrongness says I'm not living like the truth says. And this was Adam and Eve in the garden. God's word, God's standard for them was, hey, I've given you everything in this garden to eat except these two trees, don't touch them. And what does Satan do? The accuser. He accuses God. God's keeping something from you. And he condemns them. You're not good enough. You don't match up. You don't have the same knowledge of God. Did God really say you can't touch those? Because if you touch them, look at how you would be, how much better that you will be. And this, right, is the, the scheme of the enemy. He loves to tempt us and say, you'll have that, you'll feel so good, it'll be so much better if you could just enjoy this, and then you eat of it, or you do it, and what happens? Shame comes. Because immediately, they eat of the fruit, and what happens? They're embarrassed. It says they were naked and ashamed. Before that, they were naked and unashamed. All of a sudden, they were naked, and shame comes in because this is the condemnation of the enemy. God never wants you to feel shame. Shame says, I'm a bad person. I'm no good. God may say, his spirit may say, hey, there's something you should change, but the enemy loves condemnation and loves to make us feel shame. Oh, you're a bad person. And this, like, it's the strategy of the enemy all over. Have you ever, like, you, you've eaten a good meal, and, and you see the dessert, and you think, oh, I should eat that dessert. That looks so good, but I'm kind of full, but I'm just going to taste good. So then you eat the dessert, and it tastes so good, but then what happened? Like, you feel sick because you shouldn't have eaten that, right? Or you share a morsel of gossip, and, and you think, oh, I'm just going to feel so good. Get this off my chest. I'm going, to, I'm going to show people who someone really is. And you share it, and then what happens? The enemy shames you. How could you say that? How could you do that? Look at who you are. Right? You can't even keep a secret. And the enemy's strategy is always to make sin look so attractive. And once we do that, then we feel ashamed. It's wrongness. Now, what the Bible says is that righteousness protects us. And sometimes people go, why does the church care about righteousness? Why are they all up in my grill about all the things I need to do and not living right? And why do we do that? It's because, friends, righteousness protects us. It's not to look down at others. It's to protect others. It's to share. This is the best way to live. Because the best way to live is not to lie. And, and maybe you're tempted to lie, and maybe you feel like, oh, lying would be good. Or maybe it's going to be easier if you lie, but all of a sudden, you start one lie, and what happens? You create a whole web of lies, and then everything gets to be a mess. It's just rightness is the best way to live. Just don't lie. Right? Don't steal something. And you think, well, I can just take this. Right? I can, I can cheat on this. And all of a sudden, you discover, like, your, your finances are a mess. And, and God's word, it's there to protect us. Righteousness protects us. Wrongness is an open invitation for the enemy and, and for Satan in our life. You start living with wrongness, and it's an open invitation. You wonder, why do I sometimes feel like i got the fingerprints of the enemy? Why do I feel like things aren't working? It's because of wrongness. Now, if you started to keep your garbage piling up in your backyard, 
or out on your, your, your balcony or on your step, right? And you've got garbage and you just pile garbage. Uh, maybe even bring it in. Maybe even keep it in the garage. You keep garbage there for a while. What will happen? All of a sudden, every rat, raccoon, and skunk will be in your backyard. And you'll go, why do I have these skunks? Why are raccoons there? And what we naturally do is we try to manage the situation. So we call animal control. They come, take the animals away, put them out somewhere in the countryside. And the next thing you know, what happens? They're back. Because every rat, raccoon, and skunk tells all their friends, hey, there's great feasting in the garbage in your backyard. And as long as you keep the garbage that's there in your yard, what's going to happen? You're going to have every predator kind of come and visit. And we try to manage our garbage. Well, let's put a fence around it. Let's sprinkle perfume around it. Let's hide it a little bit. As long as the garbage is there, the animals are going to come. And you're not going to get rid of the pests until you get rid of the garbage. And every time there's wrongness in our life, it's an open invitation to the enemy to come in. And we wonder, why do we have these fingerprints of Satan? Why do I feel like I'm under attack? Why do I feel that there's a battle? It's that there's wrongness. Now, the problem is we try to manage our behavior and the garbage in our life, and we become life garbage managers. Try to hide our sin, cover it up, make sure nobody sees it. But it's still an open invitation. And God didn't call us to be garbage managers in life. He sent Jesus to give us victory. So how do we have this righteousness? How do we find a breastplate of righteousness, particularly when the standard of God's word, right, is pretty high. You read this, and it's pretty high. And every religion in the world, they're very similar in the same way because every religion tries to help you figure out how do you achieve the standard? How many prayers, how many exercises, how many sacrifices or services? What do you have to do to meet the standard? The problem is God's standard is unattainable. We could never achieve it. There's no way we could ever achieve God's standard for us on our own. And so Christianity is completely different. And when people say, oh, Christianity is like every other religion in the world, it ain't. Because what Christianity says is you can't meet the standard. You on your own can't be righteous. You can't match up. So Jesus gave his life to give you righteousness. And so the breastplate of righteousness, what is it? It's Jesus' righteousness for us. So to understand this, we have to go just a little theological and go just a little deeper and talk about two theological points that we theologians, Christians throughout the years, they talk about imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. And the breastplate of righteousness, it talks about both of those, imputed righteousness. Imputed means it's given, it's yours. And what happened is that Jesus knew, God knew, we in our human nature could never match up to his standard, so Jesus came. He became human flesh, just like us. He lived a perfect, righteous life. Everything he did was according to the righteous, and he died. Why did he die? 
He died in our place. He died for our sin. He died so that he could take our sin and give us righteousness. And when we come to Jesus and when we surrender our heart, give our life to Jesus, what we are given is not just a ticket to heaven. We are now clothed with God's righteousness. We're clothed with that. And God now sees us as righteous. And Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, because you may go, well, where do you get that, Pastor? That just seems kind of crazy. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. That God made Jesus, who was righteous, sin. He brought on the cross, bore all our sin and shame, Why? So that he could give us righteousness. And so when we give ourselves to Jesus, God does not see us more as sin. He doesn't see our sin. He sees us, and he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees us clothed in Christ. And we are, what the theological term is, justified. This is what happens when we come to Jesus. We're justified Right, Because we know that we're sinful people. We know that we've messed up. We know that we should pay a price. We, we know that we owe God and owe people for the ways that we mess up. But God said, oh, because of Jesus, that's paid for. And it's like just as if you've never sinned. This is what's so amazing. That when we come to Jesus, we come alive to God, and God sees us in Christ. We have imputed righteousness as if we never sinned. Peter goes on to say it this way in um, 1 Peter uh, uh, that's here somewhere. Oh, my, oh, you know what? I think I erased it. Okay, there it is. 1 Peter 2:24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. And live what? To righteousness. For by his wounds we've been healed. That Jesus, what? Bore our sins on the cross. There's this great exchange. That when Jesus died, all of our sin, everything, he paid the price. It's like we just never sin because God gives us his righteousness. We have this imputed righteousness. So that we might live to it and be righteous. And so when the enemy comes, and he's going to do that, and he's going to say, oh, look at you, you messed up, you're not going to match up, look at you, God could never love you, God can't forgive that, like of all this, oh, God may forgive something, but he can't forgive that, what do we say? We put the breastplate of righteousness on, and we say, you know what, Satan, you're right. But actually, I'm far worse than what you could say. I've done far worse things than what you can imagine but I'm covered in Christ. I have Christ's righteousness. Christ has forgiven me. He took my sin and he clothed me with himself and God sees me with that and I'm in Christ. If you want to get to my heart, Satan, you got to do better than that. And that we, in the condemnation of the enemy, say, hey, there's no condemnation. There's no shame because I am what? In Christ. 
Now, the problem is you're going to say, well, maybe that's true when I gave myself to Jesus and I kind of came to Christ and God paid for my sin, but, you know, I still mess up every day. I still, like, don't live up to the standard every day. And I wish I could do that. And what we have to understand is that God made us in three parts. There's kind of three parts to our essence. There's our spirit, what we call our spiritual part. It's what's awakened to God. It's what, when we talk about being born again, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was like, what do you mean? I got to go back in my mother's womb. No, the spiritual part, the part of us that connects with God, the part that comes alive with the Holy Spirit, it's born anew. It was dead in our sin, dead when we're separated from God but we're alive to God, and it's alive. But then we are also flesh. We're body. We have desires. We have lusts. And sometimes that controls us. And the problem is our body and flesh aren't born again. It will be born again when we get to heaven. It'll be born again in the next life, but it's not born again now. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says we have to kind of put to death our flesh, crucify our flesh, control our flesh, that our spiritual part that's alive, Christ in us, needs to help conform our flesh to what God's word says. But then there's a third part. We're also a soul. A soul is kind of the invisible part of ourselves. It's the part of our life, the mind, the emotions, the will is the invisible part that wants to do things. And the soul is not born again in this life either. And the Bible doesn't say the soul gets born again. Paul in Romans, as we looked at last year, says what? We have to renew our mind. We have to renew our world. We have to conform it to Christ. And so we are spirit, and God sees us spiritually. We're alive. We're righteous in Christ. We're also flesh, and we're also a soul. And these are struggling. And these we have to encourage to be righteous. These we have to bring under the control of God. So are we righteous? Yes. Are we becoming righteous, our soul and our body? Yes, is becoming righteous. We're righteous, but becoming righteous. Are we saved? Yes, but we're working through our salvation. Are we born again? Yes, but we got to work that through all the rest of our body. And we call that sanctification. And this is what the Bible then talks about as imparted righteousness. Our spirit has imputed righteousness. God looks at us and sees we're righteous. Now Christ in us, the righteousness of Christ, needs to work through our body and our soul. And we have to bring those under Jesus. And that's a lifetime. We'll never get there in this life. And Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 12, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but more in my absence, notice he says, work out what? Your salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to work out your salvation. And you go, wait a minute, I thought I was saved. Yes, our spirit is saved, but we are also being saved in our body and our soul. That God sees us as saved, but we're trying to work that out in the rest of our life. And so the enemy, what will he do? He will say, oh, look, look at what your body did. 
Look at what your mind did. Look at what your will did. Look at how you're feeling. Look at those feelings and thoughts. Like, look at how terrible you are. And he condemns and he condemns and he condemns. And he makes us what? Feel shame. And it was just like when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they ate of the fruit and they felt shame. When God came to meet them in the cool of the evening, God asked Adam and Eve just two questions. The first question was, where are you, right? Because why are you hiding from God? And they said, well, we're naked. And what was the second question? Who told you you were naked? Who made you feel shame? You were naked before. Who told you? The enemy told you you were naked. The enemy wants you to feel shame. The enemy wants you to know how far you've fallen, how bad you are, and, and what you've done. God does never want us to feel shame. Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no shame to those who are in Christ. God may convict us. His spirit will convict us. His spirit will say, hey, you're not walking as a righteous person in your body or in your mind. Hey, you know what? You need me to help you do that. Work that salvation out. We together, God says, Terry, you and I together, we can do better. We can work that out. The enemy always says, oh, you're done. Just forget God. You see, God doesn't work. God's no good. And so when Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, he's saying, put on the fact that you have imputed righteousness, that God sees you as righteous, and secondly, impart it. Work that out in every day. Don't let the enemy stop you. The enemy's going to point out all your flaws. He loves to point out every flaw. He loves to tell you how terrible you are. And every time he does that, you use that as an example to say, okay, Holy Spirit, help me. Satan, thank you for pointing that out. And Holy Spirit, help me. See, the enemy wants to say, oh, you're just no good. The Holy Spirit says, hey, we can change together. Now, the problem is, in life, in religion, this is what religion does, and in our religious kind of world, we think we can change our mind, our soul, or we can change our body, ourself. Right? Well, I just have to do better. I just have to try harder. I just have to discipline my body more. Or, or we say, I have to, you know, be able to think differently. Or I'm just going to think happy thoughts. I'm just going to meditate on happy thoughts. I'm going to change my mind and my soul. We can't do that. Friends, if you're here and you're trying to do that, if you've been living kind of this religious lifestyle, I'm going to try to do better myself to get to God. We can't do it. Righteousness is not something we do. It's what we embrace. So how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? First is remember, we put on Christ. And that each piece, we were, before we came to Christ, we were naked and ashamed before God. God saw everything. Now we're clothed in Christ. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, this is what God says about Jesus, what Jesus wears, what Jesus does. And Isaiah's writing to a culture, and they were, there was no truth, uh, there was no righteousness in the community, and God says, I'm going to send my son, I'm going to send Jesus. And notice what it uh, says uh, about him. It says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. What did Jesus do? Jesus had a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation, and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal in a cloak. That when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we are putting on Christ. 
So how do we live? See, often what happens is we live under the condemnation of the, oh, I'm no good, I just don't think, right. I'm just a mess, like the enemy's just not going to use me, or the enemy's just pointing out all the flaws, I've just lost heart, the kill shot. Every day we get up and we say, no, 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 no. Satan, I'm putting on Christ. I got the breastplate of righteousness. God sees me as righteous. So now, how does a righteous person live? How does a righteous person speak the truth? How does a righteous person work in a very difficult work environment? How does a righteous person deal with their enemies? How does a righteous, forgiven person now forgive others? And this is what it means, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on Christ, live out of that new identity. This is what Paul says, you've got the most amazing armor. You're now like Christ. Live that out. How does a righteous person live that out? And when I went to, to seminary years ago, I went to school. We, I, I went to university, you know, in sweats and shorts. That's what we did. When I went to seminary, we had to wear a suit every day, every class, four years. You wonder, why doesn't Terry wear a suit? Why doesn't Pastor wear a suit? I wore it. I got my suit wearing days. They're over. That's why because you wear a suit. And they told us why we had to wear a suit, because you act differently if you're wearing a suit. Right? There's things you won't do if you're wearing a suit. You carry yourself differently if you're wearing a suit. Paul says, tomorrow morning, get up, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and live that way. Live out of the power of that. Live out of the supernatural of that. But that only happens when we've been born again, when our spirit comes alive, when we've given ourselves to Jesus. And so let me ask you, if you are here and you're trying to work out your life, trying to think differently or feel differently or act differently, and you're trying to do it yourself, have you given your life to Jesus? And this is what salvation is, is surrendering and saying, I can't be acceptable. I can't do it on my own. Jesus, come in. Holy Spirit, help and change. God, come in and do that. Secondly, watch what you feed. Because what you feed in this life, it grows. Right? What you feed, it will grow. And what the enemy wants us to do, right? Oh, feed your flesh. Enjoy that. Just give in. Just feed it. Do that. Feed your mind with things, right, that are wrong, that are unrighteous. Feed your mind with that. And the problem is, if you feed your flesh and you feed your mind, and you, then you're going to wonder, why does my spirit seem so weak? Right? Why don't I sense the power of God? Feed that. What does the enemy say? Oh, you don't need to go to church today. You don't need to go to small group. Uh, you know, you can skip a few days in God's word. Oh, you don't need to pray. And we do that and we think, why have I lost heart? It's because what we feed grows. You feed the garbage of the flesh. You feed the garbage of your mind. And the fingerprints of Satan will be there. So that's the third thing. Realign, orient your life to righteousness. When God speaks something to you and says, hey, hey, Terry, like I, you have this righteousness of Christ in you, but you're not thinking right, you're not acting right, 
I have to listen and align my life. The problem is we have to discern between the voice of the Holy Spirit that's convicting us and the voice of the enemy that's condemning us. So we have to learn to listen to those voices and differentiate. Because as we said, the enemy, his voice is there to condemn you, make you feel terrible, worse, to give you the kill shot, to take your heart out. And Jesus, the voice of the Holy Spirit is there to say, hey, my righteousness is here. I'm here. Terry, we can do this. We can do this together. Even if it takes five tries, 10 tries, 100 tries, we can do this. And so when the enemy starts condemning you, you think you're terrible, you're not going to lie, you're not going to do anything. You say, hey, listen, enemy, thank you for pointing that out. Thank you for pointing that out in my life and go to Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to live out of that. So the worship team is going to come back. We're going to sing a song that really is just talking about who we are in Christ. And there's something about worship and gathering together because that's the, the last point is that we need to help each other with the breastplate of righteousness. Soldiers wouldn't put it on themselves. It was 70 pounds. You couldn't put it on yourself. You needed help. Friends, we're here to help one another, not to point a condemning figure, finger, not to say, oh, look at you, or you don't match up, or you're not part of us, or we can't hang around. We need each other to partner with the Holy Spirit to help people. And we're just going to sing this song about just what God calls us. The enemy, he knows our name, but he loves to call us by our sin. Oh, you're a liar. You're a deceiver. You're a luster. You're jealous, you're envious, you're bitter. He loves to call us by our sin. God knows our sin. But because of the righteousness in Christ, he calls us by name. And that's what happens, what we're reminded of every time in communion. And so when you came in, hopefully uh, you received a communion a cup. The top, there's a little cellophane layer. And after we sing, we'll take communion. Just peel that off and there's uh, a wafer. And then you kind of break the little tinfoil thing and pull that off. And there's some juice. And if you know Jesus, you're reminded. We encourage you to take that. If you're uncomfortable, if you're new, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have to take it. It's not something we compel you to do. It's something we do because we're reminded that Jesus has given us his righteousness. And a while back, my family and I, we went out to dinner and we went to a restaurant and went to pay. And I thought, oh, you know what? I, I've got a gift card. Someone had given us a gift card. So I went, paid, and it's like I didn't have to pay. It was all paid. And the best part was I had enough left having a gift card for another meal. And so we got to go back, have another meal without having to pay. And this is what communion is. That when we remember Jesus, what? We went to Jesus and Jesus paid for our sin. He paid for everything and, and we get free. We get the righteousness of Christ. We don't have to earn it. We get the righteousness. And then we mess up and you know what? We go back and there's more on Jesus' righteousness gift card to cover that. And then we do more wrongness and we go back to Jesus and there's more righteousness and we can never use up his gift card. And so this is what communion reminds us of, that we have the righteousness of Christ. And when you hold that cup and you hold that wafer and you hold that juice, it's a reminder. It doesn't matter what you've done. The gift card of Jesus' righteousness will pay for it. So use it 
And let's celebrate the God who calls us by who we really are.